Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show. I am your host, Sage the Poet, and it gives me great pleasure to come before you again on a terrific Tuesday evening and on the panel of Exceptional Scribble. For tonight's show, let me brief you on what to be expected. Tonight's show is a special feature. The topic, Saving Texas. Harvey Rex Havoc, Survival and Recovery are Essential. And our focus word phrase for this evening is relief aid. The open forum discussion begins now. We will have our open forum discussion from 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time till 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, on this show... We do cater to all callers. In the event we will have a flood of callers to call in, we will extend the open forum discussion hour by 10 or 15 minutes. Next, for tonight's itinerary, from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Our free publishing tips hour will be in session. The lead facilitator is co-host, Warrioress Queen, Zipporah Thalman, ladies and gentlemen. Next, at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and until the mic stops, our supporting host, the third wheel, the Duke himself, otherwise best known as Donaldson Flowtime and Quantius MC. He will provide musical inspiration and legal information from 10 p.m. again till the mic stops. And yes, for those of you who are inquiring during that full hour from 10 till 11. The open mic night hour will be in full effect. So for all you spoken word artists out there, 
and literary artists slash poets, scribes, and etc. Feel free to call in. Share love via your poetry, lyrics, and etc. And share it to a live audience where you will acquire prompt feedback, positive critique that will aid you in your journey of mastering your craft as a literary artist. So, ladies and gentlemen, the open forum discussion now begins. And again, our topic for tonight is Saving Texas. Harvey wrecks havoc, survival and recovery are essential. First things first, ladies and gentlemen. If you are not fully aware, Governor Ivy sent National Guard resources to aid in Harvey. And this is, of course, the aftermath of Texas being, yes, experiencing the severity of Tropical Storm Harvey. Um we did learn that Houston is yet experiencing a second a second uh hit of Harvey's fury. So technically Houston is still in harm's way. Um our prayers go up and go forth on behalf of all our family, friends, whom do reside in Texas. Um, Special shout-outs are going forth right now as well. Um, There is a very dear friend of mine uh, and poet, um, Ken. I want him to know that He's in my thoughts and prayers right now. Praying for your continued good health during this time of Harvey's fury throughout Texas and also praying for your shelter situation and your protection right now and not just for yours, but for others, other family and friends in Texas. Too many to start naming names, but just know that we on the East Coast care. Um, We are touched by your infirmities right now, what you're going through, your trial, your tribulation, and it is not an ordeal that we know will result in an overnight recovery. We know we've heard the reports. We do understand that it may take years for Texas to recover from this, but 
we're praying for a full recovery, not just a speedy one, and hoping for the best as well. Let us remain positive. What I will share is Montgomery, Alabama, Governor Kay Ivey authorized the Alabama National Guard to send two CH-47 Chinook helicopters and two UH-60M medical aircraft with crews to assist in Hurricane Harvey rescue. Yes, our focus word for tonight is relief aid. So we do want to announce that relief aid is being administered right now to all survivors in Texas, all Harvey survivors in Texas. And let me continue on. Of crews to assist in Hurricane Harvey rescue and recovery efforts underway in Texas. One of the hallmarks of the American spirit is the desire to help each other when disaster strikes, Governor Ivey has said. Alabama is proud to help our friends in Texas through lending our National Guard resources and offering our prayers and continued, note the word continued, Support. Support alone is not enough if it's temporal. We need continued support for Texans at this time. They need to know that the support they're receiving now will continue in the days of recovery which lie ahead. I want to say to all, let us at this time, let us remember the fallen. There were many victims. There were deaths. We want to take a moment of silence and for acknowledgement of those whom are the deceased her Harvey's. Effects. The effects of Harvey are many. And we want to take a moment of silence to acknowledge those who died in this storm. It's Category 4 Tropical Storm, which has regained strength. We're hoping it soon abates as it continues to move on. And we do not, we desire not to, learn of any increase in the numbers of deaths, of course. And we want to say a special thank you 
to the National Guard. These are people like you and me whom are compassionate. They have devoted their lives to helping mankind and saving lives. And we want to thank them. We want to take out the time and thank them. We want them to know we support them. We're in full support of what they're doing. We appreciate their support. We appreciate them because they are always on the front line. These are the front line men and women. Always on the front line when disaster strikes. Um, they were there at the time of Katrina, at the time of Sandy. We're talking about hurricanes now. And they are there now during the aftermath of Harvey. And let us not forget them. Let us do our part for those of us who are able to donate food or clothing, monies, relief aid, relief aid. Please donate. What I'm going to do now is share some information. And for those of you who have Facebook, the Exceptional Scribble Show does have an event page you can visit. All of this information is featured there. You can go to episode 178, comma, The Exceptional Scribble Show. You would do a search under that title on Facebook, and you will promptly navigate to the Exceptional Scribble Show's event page. On that page, you will see the information listed. You will be able to reference that information, and there are links provided that you can visit with further information on how you can participate in being a donor during this tragic event. You can go online and you can donate with Google. Google provides donation service to help you direct your funds for effective local impact. So for those of you who have not yet done that, you can go to Google online. For those of you who want to stay alert regarding Tropical Storm Harvey, you can go to google.org backslash crisis map backslash 2017 hyphen Harvey. The next information I will be providing is U.S. disaster release. There is a U.S. disaster relief 
organization by the name of Samaritan's Purse. They provide international relief. Samaritan's Purse mobilizes staff and equipment and enlists thousands of volunteers to provide emergency aid to victims of tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, floods, and other natural disasters in the United States. So, yes, Harvey falls within that category, ladies and gentlemen. And this is a direct message from the U.S. Samaritan's Purse, which is an international relief aid organization. Here are their words. We often stay behind our initial response to rebuild or restore houses for needy families. So, for those of you who have not yet visited SamaritansPurse.org, you need to do so and find out ways in which you and your community or your nonprofit organization, your business, your uh, faith-based organization can participate in giving. There are many ways in which you can give. You can be a donor. You can be a volunteer and help. There are many people that are going to Texas, and literally they are helping to rescue persons whom are trapped in their houses, in their vehicles, in buildings, trapped by floodwaters. Maybe this is, you feel, an initial calling of yours. If so, they're in need right now. Help your brothers. Help your sisters. We need to help each other. If we don't extend a helping hand, we fail one another. And if we fail each other, we're divided as an as a race called humanity and a divided nation or race or people will not survive. I wanna acknowledge we have a caller from New York. Welcome caller from New York. Hello, hello, everybody, how's it going? Yes, hello. Um we're well, we're well. We're uh, just having an op- open forum discussion right now. I'm expecting a few other callers to call in. But um, please feel free to announce yourself and uh, where in New York you're calling from and give a little information, a little background information about yourself. Thank you. Well, tonight I'll be a surprise caller. Okay. And. I'll just listen in. I'll be a surprise caller, and maybe next week I will uh, give a little more information. Oh, okay. 
That okay. is well and good. Thank you for okay. calling in. And do you have any commentary? Are there any uh, comments that you'd like to make in reference to uh, Saving Texas? That's pretty much our theme for tonight. This is a tribute show. We're um, just paying tribute to Texas and what their struggle is right now, dealing with Harvey. Um, We're hoping for the best. We know that initial... Uh, recovery or an initial full recovery will take some years, but we're there for them. A lot of us, we have family, we have friends who reside there, and we're just showing our love and support tonight by way of using our airtime on this panel, the Exceptional Scribble Show, and doing just that. Um, So if there's any information that you'd like to share uh, in reference to Texas and the struggle right now, or um, maybe if you're part of an organization that is helping uh, to provide them with relief aid right now, you can share about that organization. Or if you have just maybe some positive words that you'd like to say on behalf of those that are in the struggle there right now, uh, feel free to share. And thank you. Yeah, my prayers go out to uh, the victims of that hurricane. And, uh, I'm connected with an organization that generally responds to uh, natural disasters of that type. So I'm confident that uh, they're on the case right now. My prayers are definitely with the, those people of Houston and Texas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know they felt the love with your words. Thank you again. Um What we're going to do right now is we're going to take a music break, and then we'll be back and we'll discuss a little more in detail about how we can help Save Texas right now and other efforts that are being made to help Save Texas right now. So at this time, we're going to have our music break, and we will resume the open forum discussion hour when we return. Thank you.
That song that you just heard is entitled Texas by a recording artist, a country music recording artist named George Strait. And again, that song is a tribute to the Lone Star State of Texas. Um, at this time, I'm acknowledging another caller, Dr. Sharonda Orridge. Welcome, Dr. Sharonda. Hey, how you doing? Hey, doing well, doing well, doing, I tell you, doing well for others. Doing well for others. I, I like to say that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, us nurturers by nature, and if you're an empath, those that are in past, we're empathetic people. Mm. So always looking on the outside, not just always on the inside out. So, um, you know, right now I'm just really feeling, you know, with a heavy heart for Texans right now, you know, Mm -hmm. going through. And a lot of us, of course, you know, the, the images reminded us of uh, Katrina, right? New Orleans, and you know, even on the East Coast. For those of us on the East Coast in the tri-state area, uh, we reflected on uh, Sandy, Hurricane Sandy, and mm-hmm. the aftermath thereof. So it's just brought up a lot of emotion. I would like to say a lot of mixed emotions right now, but I'm staying positive because I know. You know, just knowing that, you know, nothing bad will ever outweigh the good. That's mm-hmm. right, period, in in the universe. So we're just trying to all stay positive on that wavelength and to just encourage each other with positive affirmations and, and especially our brothers and sisters, our family, our friends in Texas, just to let them know we're with them. We're They're not alone. Mm-hmm. We may not literally be physically present with them in, in the struggle of what they're going through right now, 
but we are very much with them. And we're not going to see them without. We're going to help whatever way we can. And I've just been asking anyone that calls in, any callers, if maybe you're a part of an organization that is providing relief aid, if you like to share about that organization, or if you're personally doing um, that much, if you're personally in some way being a donor and sending aid, or if you're just being there for them and helping others who are able to help them by donating to those funds and organizations, Um, or if you just have a positive message, because I know a lot of our callers that call in, they're writers, they're poets, they're spoken word artists, um, they're healers in some way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so if you have something, maybe a message that you'd like to share um, on the air tonight, feel free to do so because it's all about inspiration. Um, It's all about community building on this platform. So whatever you can do to help their cause of recovery, uh, feel free to speak now on that. Okay. Well, um, it's funny. My uh, uncle had flew to Texas the other day. Oh, my goodness. Wow. On Friday. Mm. And so I was at a meeting, and then one of the artists showed me, like, the hurricane and all that stuff because it was um, Mm. on his phone. So Mm. I had called my uncle, and he said, you know, everything is okay because he's in um, Houston. And so he said everything was okay. They're just getting a lot of rain and um, Mm -hmm. the next-door neighbors and all of that stuff. Um, the garage, they got, you know, water damage and all that. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, like, thinking, you know, we have to be grateful, and we ha- like you said, we have to pitch in because this is our community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm fearful for is that, like, when people need help, they're not getting all the help that they deserve or that they was paid for us. We had a um, tornado on the north side of Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. a lot of houses and all that stuff was demolished. Now, the money that was supposed to help build that, they wind up, you know, keeping it for themselves and not helping the people. Oh, my. So that's, that's one thing, you know, that I will be mindful of because – Mm-hmm. It's about you know making money off our backs and you know of our pain and stuff. So right. that's that's what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you for making mention of that. I know personally, um, thus far on the broadcast tonight, that had not yet been made mention of, but it is definitely a harsh reality that mm-hmm. we need not be in the dark about because there are always those who look for these opportunities, you know, when we're most vulnerable and they will exploit these occasions, mm-hmm. their benefit, you know, caring nothing about the victims. Right. So we have to, we must be aware of them, be aware of these uh, persons that do such. And a lot of times, they can be a conglomerate of corporations. 
You got to really read through uh, the scam artists out there because there are many. Um, I believe that was taking taking place um, during the wake of uh, Trayvon Martin's murder. There were a lot of um, persons that was claiming to be a part of a fund for the family. And believe the family had to make an announcement for people to stop giving to this um, fraudulent uh, um, organization because they had nothing to do with the family. Mm-hmm. And none of the funds collected were even going towards the family. So we do have to beware of these uh, types of uh, situations and these people who take mm-hmm. advantage during such a time as this. Yes, indeed. Thank you for bringing that out. No problem. And I'm also going to ask you, because I know that you are a healer, if you would like to share with everyone on the call at this time and uh, everyone that's tuned in, if you would like to share about your work, what you do as a healer, and how people can benefit in having you to come and to uh, give seminars and conferences on healings and things like that, Mm -hmm. and also what you do as a life coach. Because I believe that this is a time in America where a lot of people are are in need of life coaches and Mm -hmm. healers. So feel free to share your information about um, your business and what you do as well. Okay, so I have a um, company called... Loving Spirit Holistic Services because we cater to a lot of needs. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also an actor, spoken word artist, and the list goes on. But <laughs> <laughs> my business is just like um, one of the services I provide is life coaching and then life coach training and trainer the trainer as well. I also um, do catering. I just started that. And so it's just... <laughs> like the sound of that, a healer that's also a great cook, culinary right. artist too. Hey, you can't... Right. Awesome right there. What a mix. Go on. <laughs> so I also do like... um. Rights of pastor, because I'm an ordained minister, even though I don't, you know, use it to preach or anything like that. It's just to make sure that people are safe. Yeah. And so, wow, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you were well, sharing about being an ordained minister and... Yeah, but I I was going to say something, but... um. I give rites of passages and um, naming ceremonies, different things like that. Now, I have a question about naming ceremonies. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people equate that right away when they hear naming ceremonies. They're thinking, okay, um, a new birth and a child Mm -hmm. arrives and they need a name. Can you share that it's, more than just that uh, mm-hmm. circumstance by which names are given, can you also share the 
other circumstances because a lot of people right away their minds going and they're thinking, okay, this is for you know the new life that is coming to our mm-hmm. physical realm. But it's it's not just that; it's also other um, um, life um, events. Can you share of them too? Where a new name mm-hmm. is. Thank you. Yeah, so some people, you know, change their name for religious reasons or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. So, uh, you know, officiate over that. But the difference is, is um, hold on one second. Go finish talking. I have to do something right quick. Oh, okay. No problem. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. Things happen. Life happens. Well, I want to say to everyone tuned in, of course, you are listening to the Exceptional Scribble Show broadcast, which comes to you live weekly on Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The service provider is TalkShoe.com. You can go online and visit the web page talkshoe.com which is www.talkshoe.com and our show's ID number is 133193 and then the pound key feel free to visit the exceptional scribble shows web page you will see a list of archive links and feel free to tune in and hear past recorded episodes thank you now back to Dr. Sharonda Orridge. Welcome back, Dr. Sharonda. Okay, we're having a little technical difficulties, it looks like. But Dr. Sharonda Orridge will be back with us. In the meantime, you are now hearing the voice of Sage, the poet. I am the host of the Exceptional Scribble Show. And, yes, I do have a government name. Someone was inquisitive and asked about that. Well, what is your real name? Well, my real name is my pen name, Sage the Poet. But also, I do have a government name. Uh, That name is Francine Elizabeth Natal, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And um, I prefer to use my pen name as an artist and as a scribe. And again, my pen name is Sage. And I always tag on to Sage the poet. Why? Because I am a poet. I write poetry and I am a published poet. I have authored three self-published books of poetry. The first one is entitled The Assortment, a collection of poems. I'm sorry, not The Assortment, um, Every Rose, has a Thorn, a collection of poetry. My second published book is entitled The Assortment, a collection of poems. And my third published book is entitled, oh, my gosh, Above the Brink, <laughs> Passover, Above the Brink. So those are three self-published books. Um, I did go through Infinity Publishing as the publisher of book one and book three, and I went through, um, oh, my goodness, the name of the 
publisher is slipping my mind right now. iUniverse, I'm sorry, here it is. Uh, iUniverse for my second published, self-published book of poetry, which is entitled The Assortment, a collection of poems. And what I would like to say, being a published author and poet, is the following. Um, Every book is unique. I look at each book that I have been blessed to write as a gift to me, a gift that I share with others. Um, Writing is a passion for me, so it's something that I do by choice and I love to do. So it's not just, um, you know, I write because I want to author a book, per se, but it's more like this. If I don't write, I don't eat. If I don't eat, I can't live. That's how serious writing matters to me. Um, My hope is that with everything I write in general, um, I've also had the pleasure of being a professional writer, I am a freelance editorial journalist, so I do write for local newspapers as well as online magazines and papers. I write on a variety of topics, ladies and gentlemen, so (laughs) you're likely to read something and be like, oh, Fran wrote about fashion. Oh, Fran wrote um, about a certain entertainer she interviewed. Oh, Fran wrote about a politician she interviewed. Oh, Fran wrote about an event she visited. You're going to see writings by me that fall under a variety of categories. I don't discriminate. I have not yet done seriously any, like, major articles on sports. However, I've written about sports. I've written even poetry about sports, ladies and gentlemen, compared sports with politics. Very interesting, very interesting, Um, a a very interesting undertaking, um, might I add. But what I will say is this, as a writer, I find that life experiences are worth making mention of in writing as well as talking about them. And a lot of life experiences are noteworthy worthy events, meaning you're actually capturing history when you write, and especially when you date it. So for those of you who are journalists who write daily in your journals, I have nothing but much respect for you. And I tip my pen to you because you're writing every day. And you're taking life and referencing events that are life events. And you're basically commentating. You're being a commentator on life. And one day somebody's going to read that journal and it's going to help them understand what was going on during this era, during this time in America. So I commend you on disciplining yourself daily to write 
in a journal and personalizing it, giving it a personal touch because you're also showing how life impacts life, life touches life. You know, you your words, your perspective is unique, and you're making it tangible for everyone and anyone who's interested in hearing about it. And that's a good thing. This this is how each one teaches one. And I really believe if you are passionate about writing, you don't mind using your pen to inspire, to motivate, to educate, to heal others. Again, to inspire, to motivate, <laughs> to educate, to heal others. And that's what this journey as a writer, as a scribe, as a poet, as a novelist, whatever you call yourself as a literary artist, that's what this journey is supposed to be all about. It's not all about you. It's about us. It's a we thing because we touch each other's lives in a very real, unique, positive, and special way when we are real. And that realness, it it, it makes a difference. When we connect life with life, person to person, it makes a difference. And it's what makes a community, a community that you, Nitsy, that you, N-I-T-Y, that's what makes a community have a heartbeat. It makes a community come alive. It 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 gives spirit to a community and to a people and to a dying planet, let alone a dying planet. We've got to do something about our current state as humanity. We've gotta I say write more. Um care more to write more. When you care more and you write more, you inspire and you heal others. And that's what it's all about. Um, We're going to take another music break. And, again, tonight's show is all about healing. And, of course, we're sending that healing, positive energy out to Texas right now. We want to see Texas well We want to see Texas come out of this disaster, this natural disaster, Tropical Storm Harvey, and we want to see them come out unscathed. We want to see them come out stronger as a community and stronger. We want to see the state heal from this. We know it's going to take time, and we know healing is a process. And... We know the people are going to be all the better for it, for going through this. And going through, it's a day-by-day. It's a day-by-day sequence. They're going to have their down times. They're going to have their times of just feeling like this this is just overwhelming. I don't know that we can make it through this. But it's our job to bear the cross for them. 
We've got to care more, America. We've been divided far too long. We've got to care more. We've got to share our resources now, just as I have read earlier about the governor of Alabama sending aid, sending even National Guard resources that they had to Texas. We've got to look at Texas and say that is our community, too. They're part of us. We're all in this together, America, and we've got to help. We've got to help people. We've got to help. We've got to give, and we've got to mean. We've got to mean it. And when we mean it, we're going to give. I've heard people use the phrase, give till it hurts. (laughs) In other words, hurt your own self-pride, humiliate yourself. Give to that extent where you say, you know what, I'm going to give until I see them better. If not as good as I'm doing but better than I'm doing right now. And we can make that sacrifice. Why? Because we can. We have, and we really all pull together our resources. It's not a one person doing everything or one organization alone funding the relief aid. Everyone pulling together and saying we cannot let this state fail because if they fail, we fail too because we're all in this together. We're all America, state by state. So... With that being said, we're going to have a music break, and we're going to hear another Texas tribute. I didn't realize I'm playing the song that was played earlier on the broadcast, and that song is entitled Texas by George Strait. And you know what? Let's hear it again. The words are meaningful. The message. Protect. Fort Worth was 
Ladies and gentlemen, again, that was a tribute song to the Lone Star State of Texas by recording artist, country music singer, George Strait. And I do want to say, on behalf of that artist, if you listened Closely to the words or the lyrics, you heard things about Texas that maybe you weren't as aware of. And Texas, the state, did receive high accolades via that song. What a tribute. I am going to shift gears at this time, and we're going to has acknowledgments. One in particular is there was a passing of a great artist over the past weekend by the name of Toby Hooper. He died on Saturday at the age of 74. He was a great film director. He is well-known for being, quote-unquote, a master of horror (laughs) in films, a master of horror films, that is. And I'm going to just share, um, Toby Hooper directed the Texas Chain Saw Massacre, ladies and gentlemen. A seminal work in horror cinema. Okay? He is known as being a kind, decent, 
man. Super directed 1974 is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a groundbreaking horror classic that influenced countless other films in the genre since its release. So we want to give acknowledgement to this artist. He has transitioned. In other words, he's not gone or forgotten. He's yet alive in a different form in the afterlife. And we pay homage and do pay tribute to him on this panel of episode 178, The Exceptional Scribble Show. One more thing. And I want this to always be remembered about the Exceptional Scribble Show. We will always respect our artists. We love the arts. And we express to the fullest extent from the soul of us just how significant art is to life. A lot of people are aware of, there's a quote, this particular quote, it reads as this. Art imitates life, I say, I beg to differ. Life is art. I go deeper. So art doesn't imitate life. Art is life. Life is art. With that being said, of course, I'm going to move on. Tonight is such a it's such a special moment right now because whenever you're in acknowledgement of truth and fact, whenever you are in all of nature, and I tell you, even natural disasters, you still have to respect Mother Nature. You still have to respect nature because you learn just how powerful she is, just how powerful nature is. And at a whim, nature can unleash a a fury that we just cannot, we can't deal with, we can't reckon with. So we have to respect nature. And yes, in respect of nature, we learn our limitations. Although we can send rockets into space and we can have satellite stations in space that can show us images from other planets as well as our own, we yet have limitations. So with that being said, we must, as humanity, humble our hearts and our souls and minds 
with regard to acknowledgement of nature as being a force to reckon with. I want to acknowledge we have on the call at this time. He is best known as Mr. Boston, but on this platform, we acknowledge him as the master scribe. Why? Because he has donned that title well, and I am truly honored to give it to him. Welcome, Master Scribe. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, I'm I'm telling you, I'm I'm doing all right. Okay, well, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> that was something else. I I was uh, at a movie going, and I thought I'd just drop in and. Come yeah. through and holler and, and stuff, I, you know. Uh, you know, we were just paying tribute tonight uh, to Texas. And, um, you know, we know that relief aid efforts are now underway and have been um, for several hours now and uh, days. And we're unfortunately having to acknowledge, too, there has been some fatalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm asking people to do that are calling in is if you're part of a group or organization that is sending relief, if you would please, um, you know, give a shout-out in acknowledgement of what your organization is doing or business and what have you. Or if you're just someone who cares and you would like to share words of inspiration and healing, um, on behalf of those that are in the struggle there right now, um, struggling to survive the ordeal, feel free to share that. Whatever you'd like to give, because it's all about giving tonight, giving uh, to the ones in need. And right now we know Texas uh, really needs our support. Mm. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, my auntie is down there. And uh, my niece is down there, and a couple of cousins is down there. I have a few friends down there, you know. Hey, yes. You know, and my niece lives in Houston, so does my auntie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in contact with them on the hour, every hour, and the flooding mm-hmm. is horrendous. Mama. I mean, horrendous. She says she had uh, 10-foot-high sandbag wall around her. In front of her house, and the water just came right on over it like it wasn't nothing. My mind. You know, so That's... like it wasn't nothing, you know. And she said that um, there was a lot of snakes mm-hmm. swimming mm-hmm. in the water. Oh, it, it yeah. There is fish swimming up and down the street like they own the street. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just crazy, mm-hmm. you know. um but all in all, she gave me some numbers. She okay. She gave me some numbers, and she mm-hmm. said if anybody wanted to um, uh, donate mm-hmm. to the disaster, you can go to uh, redcross.org, or you can call um, 1-800-RED-CROSS, or text the, the word Harvey to 90999 to make a, any kind of amount of a donation. Uh, you can call uh, uh, HelpSalvationArmy.org or call 1-800-725-2769. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or you can go on 
Facebook and uh, type in Hurricane Harvey, mm-hmm. search for it, and uh, you'll you'll come up on the site where you can donate. Um, she said that uh, a lot of the things that they really need is um, diapers, mm-hmm. uh, emergency kits. She said they need a, they need of a lot of housing for temporary housing. Yeah. So on and so forth, you know. They need a lot of that, you know. And if, once they open up the streets for safe passage, you know, anybody that can come through and volunteer will be fine. And if you're going down, if you're going down there, you know, um, I will, if you're going down there to help and volunteer, you don't have no place to stay. Just hit me up and I'll call her and see how much room she has. She has. Uh, six volunteers already because she's got those pumps at her house so it keeps the water at a very minimal mm-hmm. so you know just hit me up if you're going down there to volunteer and I will hit her up and give you some information all right thank you so much master Scott, because that's important it's important for us to know uh numbers that we can call to donate monies and funds uh to the calls because it's all about helping one another. We can't be of assistance to each other when we're in dire needs and something's wrong. If we're calling ourselves human or humane, you know, that's what humanity stands for and represents. We should find ourselves able to help others when they are in dire need of help. Uh, that is our calling. I really believe that. As humanity, we are to help each other. We're not here on the same planet just to stare at each other, to roll our eyes at each other, to grit our teeth, and to talk about what we don't like mm-hmm. about one another. We're here to be of support mm-hmm. to one another. And this is a time of need for our brothers, our sisters, our family, our friends in Texas. And we don't want them to think that they're alone in this. We want them to know, oh, no, you're not alone because we're here for you. Mm-hmm. It's your time now of need, and we're here to help and support in whatever way we can. And thanks so much because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, well, what what do they need? What things should I send, you know, for those that can send supplies? Mm-hmm. And, of course, what numbers to call, because we were just um, uh, enlightened by Dr. Sharonda when she called in earlier that there are people taking advantage of this circumstance. Man, $45 for a case of water? Come on now. Yeah, they're taking advantage and exploiting this, you know, unfortunate event. For their benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a scary thing yeah. out us. You know, the best and worst of times, it brings out sometimes the best and worst in us. Mm-hmm. And we got to deal yeah. with this, though. We got to, you know, shed light on this fact that everybody isn't what they may appear to be. Everybody's not trying to help. And we got to be able to weed through the scam artists from the ones that are real legitimate 
um, you know, resourceful, helpful people. Because there are those that are scam artists out there, and they're looking for an opportunity to scam you, mm-hmm. knowing that your heart is in the right place and you want to give and help. So we need to be careful as well. We need to be aware. Be aware and watchful at this time, and don't allow ourselves to be taken advantage of in the event that we want to help others. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. I want to welcome as well to the platform tonight, co-host of the Exceptional Scribble Show, Warrioress, Queen Zipporah Thelman. Welcome. Thank you, Duchess Fran. This is Warriors Queen Zipporah Thelman for Exceptional Scribble, Episode 178, Tuesday, August 29, 2017. And how is everyone doing tonight? Fine. Fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> yes, that's great that y'all are fine. And thank and, you. Uh, I was, you're welcome. And I was listening know, to what you were saying, you know, regarding what happened, the flooding in Houston, Texas, and Hurricane Harvey, and it's terrible. It's going to yes. bring both good and bad, good and evil. Uh, and before I start, you know, my free publishing tips hour, I have a tribute for Hurricane Harvey. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's the Raft of the Medusa Painting by Theodore Jericho, 1819. The picture is about the power and force of nature. And I'm going to read the description from Wikipedia. The Raft of the Medusa is an oil painting of 1818 through 1819 by the French Romantic painter and lithographer, which is the process of printing from a flat surface treated so as to repel the ink except where it is required for painting. Theodore Jericho, 1791-1824, completed when the artist was 27. The work has become an icon of French romanticism, which is the cold, hard way of thinking where mysticism is attempted to be destroyed. At 491 centimeters by 716 centimeters, which is 16 foot by 16 foot 1 inch by 23 foot 6 inches. It is an over life-size painting that depicts a moment from the aftermath of the wreck of the French naval frigate Meduse, which ran aground off the coast of today's Mauritania, a country in the Mara region of Western Africa, on the 2nd July 1816. On 5th July 1816, at least 147 people were set adrift on a hurriedly constructed raft. All but 15 died in the 13 days before their rescue, and those who survived endured starvation and dehydration and practiced cannibalism. The event became an international scandal in part because its cause was widely attributed to the incompetence of the French captain. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and that's, 
other thing, mm-hmm. I think we should also um, recognize, too, um, the best and the worst of times will also reveal how well we really are doing on a personal level, on a personal light, as well as collectively as a group, as a community, as a state, as a city, as a town, as a county. Because unless you're faced with challenges or triumphs, you never know all of what is really fact or truth about yourself and about others. Because you either rise to the occasion and you're fully equipped to deal with whatever or you fall. You just fall and fell. So it's it's you know, time has a way of revealing to us us. And nature also has a way, (laughs) has her way, Mother Nature has her way of exposing us to us. We realize how, how much we need each other, how needy we really are as humans or humanity as a race, and how well we work together in crisis situations when we're willing. It's it's all about willingness. And the sooner we understand, overstand, accept that, the better off we all will be. And I'm going to just now at this time just turn things back over to co-host Warrioress Queen Zipporah Thelman. And we have Master Scribe, a.k.a. Mr. Boston as well, on this call. So um, whoever has anything that you'd like to say in Agreement with, first I want to say to Queen Zipporah, I really appreciate you sharing uh, the information that you just shared with everyone on on the call tonight, everyone tuned in tonight. That was good information, and it did reference life and what we are focusing on for tonight's show, Texas what their struggle is right now. And we know that it is fact. Nature's fury. You know, we love the rainbow. We love the sunshine. And we love the spring season. And we love the beauty in the wintertime. But we don't want to face the harsh 
outside of her. And that is, nature has a fury. And when she unleashes that fury, it is a force to reckon with, a force to be reckoned with. And we can't contend with her. She's in a category all by herself. And we have to humble our hearts and our souls in acknowledgement that we've got to brace ourselves for it because it is a fact. There are seasons, there are times when we're going to have to experience nature's fury at best. But if we prepare for it and we brace ourselves and we come together during the aftermath, that helps the recovery time. That helps with the recovery time to not be so elongated or lengthy. And a lot of healing can occur promptly when there's unity, there's strength. So we got to come together, people, help our friends and family, our neighbors in Texas. They need us. Be there for them. Remember, that's us too. Every state is connected, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And we need to be there for them. Mm -hmm. Warrior is Queen Zipporah Thelman, but Mike is in your hands. And or Master Squad, a.k.a. Mr. Boston, you have some words? A poem. Listening, I'm I'm actually listening. I'm actually actually what I'm doing is I'm actually doing homework and listening. Oh, okay. You know, at the same right. time, you know, that's that's all. Just just got me in the groove, you know. Had to come through and and, and sit and stand with you for a little while, and then uh, thank after you. After that, I'm got I got a video to watch too, and and uh, dissect the video and write a uh, five paragraph paper on the videos. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, I got, uh, oh, by the way, I, I averaged a B all the way across the board for the semester. I hate when they, 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 they grade on a curve. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Give me my, just give me my grade. Yes, yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree with that, that bell curve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of that either. <laughs> nope. Not at I all. I think I should have had an A. I got a 95.50 on my Fruitville Station essay. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think I should have got an A. You know, I got I got a 98 on my final and a 98 on my midterm. I don't know why I didn't get an A. Mm. So, so grading on the curve, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. You can get back to it. Yes. So, Zipporah? Uh, yes, I'm here. And All right. A, um, one moment. We have a caller from Kentucky. I just want to acknowledge our callers. We do cater to callers on this show's panel and platform. Welcome, caller from Central Kentucky. Hi. How y'all doing? This is Miss Tia's Queen. How y'all doing tonight? Hi. We are doing well, and we're glad 
that you were able to call in tonight. And, um, of course, this show, we're paying tribute to Texas. Um, our topic is uh, it's all about saving Texas. And we're just getting the word out to those that may not be aware of um, the resources uh, that are available for them to connect with if they would like to help support and donate in some way. Okay, well, stop. So I do have something. (laughs) I'm over here. I guess I don't think it, but I do have a number, actually, which is uh, for flood victims. FEMA is paying for hotel rooms. And the call to register, they can... This was shared by Jay Allen Greer. Shout out to him. And mm-hmm. I did call and make sure it was legit before I shared it on my page. Yeah. Uh, the the hotel rooms and the call to register, the number is 1-800-621-3362. And people can call and FEMA is helping to pay for hotel rooms. And, and I've seen a thing for me to share about 20 times today. The guy mm. who was almost in tears saying that they're not picking people up from the hood. they just picking up the white people and that they have boats to go get them and all that. But mm. if they are there and they do need a room, once again, the number is 1-800-621-3362. And mm. that is the FEMA number to uh, register yourself as the flood victim, and they will get you into a hotel room or shelter. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is it. This is it. Good resource information. That's what we wanted for tonight's show. For those that had it to share it, we shared it. Uh, Matt subscribed, just inbox message me some, and I'm going to make sure that gets posted as well. And we just want people to know that uh, we don't want to allow this occasion to give to pass us by because this is us too. You know, we're united as together in America. And I, I did have this one piece. It was just a general piece about with all this going on. I think you probably can relate. Mm-hmm. Is this and a poem? This is Miss Tia's Queen. So I have my show Saturdays on talk show. It's called the Poetry Palace. Y'all welcome to come check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on Miss Tia's Queen Poetry's page on Facebook. And this piece is called In My Thoughts. Some Some enjoyed the poetry last night. Some enjoyed the boxing fight. Some enjoyed the Sabbath life. Some got flooded and hanging on to life memories with all their might. Some brought forth a birth. Others died because they were forced. Some are mentally and physically free. Some will never be. Like song, like soft. Honoring your birth is honoring your parents. The most high understands this. Some be really high but don't know the reason why. Some like to laugh. Some others like pain and to cry. Some enjoy cuddling or just to be alone. My check one, two, poetry is my other telephone. We choose our stations. As we steady be awakening, let today be the day. No worries are allowed to get in your way. Namaste. That's that piece. Mm. 
Well, I'm I'm going to just say about that piece. I loved what I heard. The message was clear. It was truth-based. There's healing in it. And it was quite unique, your delivery. And I liked Lowe as well. I like I like that you had with um, reciting that piece. And I'm going to hand the mic over to my co-host, Warrioress Queen Deborah Thalman, so she can share her input in response to hearing your poem. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Duchess Fran. And uh, You're welcome. Yes, I'm trying. Miss Pearson, is that what I should call you? My name is Miss T- is Queen. Miss Miss is Queen. All right. Well, Miss T. Miss T. M I S S T E E, and the last oh, name is Z Q U E E N. All right. Well, Miss Misty, uh, my viewpoint about your poem is that you told, you know, uh, everybody's um, emotions. Yeah. Emotions and, yeah, and preferences, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, all my pieces are freestyle. They just come out when they hit me. And so yeah. I figured that that might relate because I was talking about the flood victims in there, too, and just everybody in the whole. So, you know, I bless it sent up to us all, and I hope everybody be okay. And I'm going to mm-hmm. enjoy the rest of our show. Thank you. Thank you. We Thank appreciate you, you mm-hmm. again calling in and sharing love via your poetry. I'm sure that the words did uh, touch many. I know that they were touching and heartfelt, and I appreciate you sharing. And just know that we'll come back to you in the hour because we definitely will be hearing more poetry. All right. My love. Thank you. One love. Okay, Warrior is Queen. The mic is returned to your hands. Thank you, Duchess Fran. And I'm going to con- uh, I'm going to start with my free publishing tips hour because I do have a lot of uh, useful and important information regarding not only with publishing but also with you know uh, the other issues that are happening currently. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to start with my writing advice and discoveries, which is one piece, and it is, tired, and it is ideas chase writers to write them. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone that has a comment to that? Anybody? Me. Comments? Not me. Okay. All right. You can continue co-host Warrior's Queen to Pora Thelman. All right. Thank you, Duchess Fran. Next, I have articles to read, which are four. And the first one is titled, Finding an Agent and Approaching Artist Residencies. And this is from writersdigest.com. And it's dated August 16, 2017. Mm. I'm determined. The stupendous adventures of mighty Marty Hayes will soon rest on the shelves of bookstores, libraries, and retail stores everywhere. Middle-grade fiction readers will delight in reading about a 12-year-old African-American superhero 
and his multicultural band of friends, along with their love of spy gadgets and science. But first, I need an agent. This guest post is by Laura, spell L-O-R-A, Hyler, spell H-Y-L-E-R. Hyler has completed the manuscript of her middle-grade novel, The Stupendous Adventures of Mighty Marty Hayes, and has begun the second in the series while actively seeking an agent. She founded her Wisconsin-based public relations and marketing company in 2001. She will join the faculty for Fall 2017 Conference of both SCBWI Wisconsin and Wisconsin excuse me, <clears throat> Writers Association. She holds the 2016 Jade Ring Award from the Wisconsin Writers Association for an adult short story, several screenwriting and news awards, and has published hundreds of corporate articles. She was the recipient of a 2017 Artist Residency at marnay sous seine France, and two previous residencies at Noep Center for the Literary Arts on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. My writing journey began a couple of decades ago with a career in radio news, public relations, and marketing. I started my own public relations firm in 2001, www HylerCommunicationsOneWord.com have represented, excuse me, have represented a handful of authors and look forward to marketing my own books. Short stories and screenplays were my first forays, which means make or go, into the world of fiction. Encouraged by a few screenwriting awards, I began to exercise my fiction writing muscle through a middle grade manuscript. After joining the Society of Children Book Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI, in 2015, I learned much about the business of children books. Many times, the wealth of information on the path to publication appears daunting, which means seeming difficult to deal with in anticipation, intimidating. Yet, there are plenty of authors willing to share their stories about how they landed an agent sometimes after 100 or more rejections. I've chosen to view each, quote, no, end quote, as a step closer toward, quote, capital Y-E-S, exclamation point, close parentheses, yes. After all, that's how I've run my career. My tally sheet reveals I've sent queries to nearly 30 agents. To date, I've received 17 no thanks, a couple requests for full manuscripts, and several encouraging words. My advice to any budding author, face these rejections with the view of a glass half full. If you're like me, your eyes race across the email the minute it pops into your box. Yep, there it is, the dreaded, all-too-familiar sentence. You know the one. It's always some version of, quote, thank you for sending your manuscript. It's not a good fit for my current list, end quote. I had a recent chat with my critique partner and shared my story of a lovely rejection email from an industry leader. I successfully queried her and was told to send the full manuscript. During the discussion, I had a revelation. The industry, excuse me, this industry leader wrote, quote, thanks for sending me your manuscript, which I have so enjoyed looking at. It is such a great fun concept and the ideas you have for further titles makes it a more commercial project than we 
parentheses, pursue, close parentheses, end quote. Great news. I was worried my concept wasn't commercial enough. This individual has successfully shepherded through a fantasy series that set global sales records, captured the imaginations of youth and adults, and gained fans from reluctant and avid readers alike. Infographic, vision board, visualize your way to success. On my way toward publication, I've decided to harness all the positivity the universe sends my way. I've created an infographic of written quotes from agents and editors who have reviewed my work. With this lovely visual encouragement greeting me every day, excuse me, each day, I expect to keep my spirits up and forge ahead until the day an agent says the ultimate, I'd love to represent you. Do go back and carefully read any rejection notes you received. Wait, you want me to revisit the source of so much pain? Yes, I do. Occasionally, amidst the gray clouds, the skies part and a beam of light peeks out. Mine, those rejection notes for bits of wisdom and any encouraging words. Find an agent who's best for you. Where do you go to meet these agents? In person, at workshops and conferences, or on websites and webinars. I found agents that I've met face-to-face to be accessible. It also pays to listen closely when authors are speaking at conferences. I attended my local SCBWI conference when, excuse me, where an author choked up while thanking his agent, saying she believed in him when he had stopped believing in himself. High praise. Due to his accolades, which means an award or privilege granted as a special honor or as an acknowledgement of, I queried this agent, noting how impressed I was with her. She replied within an hour, asking me to send my manuscript. Try Twitter and a laundry list of pitch sessions available to budding authors. Brenda Drake leads pitch wars. Another interesting concept allows you to get a handle on select agents and what they are currently seeking for their list. It's called the Manuscript Wish List. I found that tracking this provides insights into the whims of a particular agent. While I seek an agent, I also keep an eye out for nonfiction work for hire opportunities, excuse me, nonfiction work for hire, H-I-R-E, opportunities to capitalize on my journalism background. I also like to blog, a sure way to keep writing muscles in good order. Discover your tribe through residencies. Now, I like to share an exciting part of my journey that I like to think of as a, excuse me, blindly bright light directing me to the finish line. Artist residencies, they are available worldwide. Some are for artists of all kinds. Others are specifically for writers. The joy of being selected for a residency provides a high to keep any writer powering through rejections and revising. In our harried daily lives, where we struggle sometimes to find quiet time, residencies provide space and time to create, often in beautiful, one-of-a-kind settings. My last residency set me up in a writing studio with windows opening up to the Seine River, running through a small French village. Cool breezes, swooping birds, and an occasional family swimming downstream accompany my writing days. It's fantastic to begin a residency living among strangers 
and as the days progress to become supporters of each other's work and lives. Critique groups form and friendships blossom. Many residencies encourage public readings, providing writers an opportunity to reveal their work in progress or completed work to an eager audience. <laughs> Excuse me. I receive adrenaline highs when an audience member laughs at the right spot. The cherry on top is one-on-one -on -one feedback offered post-reading. My residencies to date, May 2017, Centre de Art Marnay Art Centre, KMAC, Marnay sur Seine, France. Month-long residency at a 17th century complex in a village of 240 residents. I was one of eight selected artists from around the globe. Fall 2016 and Fall 2015, Noep Center for the Literary Arts, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Noep has since closed its doors. As you read this, I am applying for additional residencies. Spain, Italy, Mexico, Washington State, and Illinois residencies are just a few that have caught my eye. I encourage you to pursue the thrill of a blinking cursor before you in a fresh space, in a new state or country. You'll be surrounded by like-minded souls who adore or to over work on their own creations and they'll be happy to join you in a laugh and sips of wine when you need a break. However, whatever, wherever, however, wherever you decide to write, just keep writing. Publication is just a few no's away. Until then, mind your rejections. In the midst of it all, there may be gold. The end of this article. Very good. Very good article. Um, Master Scribe, a.k.a. Mr. Boston, he had to leave um, mm -hmm. us this evening because he's currently working on another major uh, final paper. All right. And, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, we, of course, wish mm -hmm. him well. We're hoping mm -hmm. that he makes that grade that is desired, I believe. He already mentioned 98 on the last yeah. one mm -hmm. and like a perfect score of 100. So we're praying right. and hoping for the best one. Yes, and now the subject that he wrote about was Fruitvale Station that was based on a mm -hmm. true story, and it might have been too much reality, you know, for whoever graded it. That's my viewpoint. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, though, that we have biased teachers. I think that's mm -hmm. a negative um, and a harsh reality that we, of course, find ourselves mm -hmm subjected to yeah. more times too often and less times not. Mm -hmm. I think teachers should be m most unbiased in their approach to learning, even in how they grade and score tests of their people. Mm -hmm. And I can think of many reasons why I feel this way, but I'm sure a lot of you whom are tuned in can agree that yeah. should represent the aspect of life and learning which represents equity, justice, fairness, mm -hmm. and um, acceptance. Right. We are mm -hmm. those role models. We're supposed to model mm -hmm. um, our life itself and learning 
should occur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, this is Warriors, Queens, the poorest element. I also want to add that someone has said about teachers reading students' papers to, you know, uh, know the current events. Oh, yes. I believe mm-hmm. that. I touched on that earlier tonight on the show. I said how, you know, I have much respect, a great deal of respect for journalists, those who write a daily entry in a journal every day because that takes discipline. But also one day, years later, many years to come, someone's going to read those journals. And those journals are going to serve as legitimate references, documented reports that inform about how things were in America and in the world right now. You know, speaking of, you know, journals, I do, you know, want to, you know, talk about that subject, but it's going to be later on, you know, in, um, in another category. It just uh, came to my mind, you know, when you, you know, talked about it. They're very, I'm going to tell, yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell the connection, you know, later on. I believe they're underrated. Journals are underrated, but journals offer so much to its readers. And I believe that as you mature in life, you realize that, and then you start keeping a journal for that purpose because you expect years later someone, it may be someone in your family, maybe a grandchild, great-grandchild, but they'll be able to reference what you wrote, and it will help them better understand the way the world was at that time. Yes. Because the world is ever changing. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to continue on. Mm-hmm. All right, the second article is titled, Querying from the Trenches, the Art of Believing in Yourself as a Writer. This was dated August 24, 2017. I know, I know to anyone other than a writer aspiring to obtain literary representation, this title sounds overly dramatic. But to my fellow writers, aspiring authors and authors themselves, this is exactly what it can feel like. Some might call me delusional, masochistic even, to willingly submit myself to this process again and again. Regardless of what some may want to label me, my willingness to throw myself back in, not knowing whether I will be more successful this time than the first time, which ended in utter failure, with a lovely silver lining, though, I simply call it inspired. This guest post is by Casey, spelled K-A-C-I-E, Lecompte Renfro. Renfro is a native of San Francisco, California, now living in Kentucky with her husband and daughter. She is an author and human rights advocate whose career has been predominantly spent in the fields of refugee resettlement through various organizations in the U.S. and domestic and international advocacy for underserved youth demographics through Save the Children. Any of you who signed onto your computers this morning and proceeded to this website to see if maybe, just maybe, a new agent was being featured with a request for queries for a book that sounds just like yours, this is the sanity of the process. You have to be willing to submit, no pun intended, time and time again, to the process itself in its various forms to see your writing come to fruition. 
which means the point at which a plan or project is realized. Writing a book, being published, and calling myself an author has been nothing short of a lifelong dream for me. I have been writing since I was four. I started with a literary flair, preferring poetry to all other forms of the written word, and over the years, evolved into writing longer stories, fiction, and nonfiction. I participated in an amazing writing workshop in San Francisco several years ago, and the piece I wrote for the class ended up being the first chapter for my recently published young adult novel, Hot Air. Not long after taking that class, my husband and I moved to San Antonio and decided I was going to turn that chapter into a book. Over the next seven months, I did exactly that, and in my humble opinion, that was the easy part. Pouring your soul into the page, reading, rereading, editing, re-editing, while at times tedious, which means too long, slow, or dull, is where the magic happens. The world feels alive in almost anything, like getting an agent and being published feels like a tangible possibility. When you finish that book and then the terrifying, intimidating, utterly daunting query and finally begin the submission process, the pain finally begins to kick in. The first few submissions to literary agents are a high and checking your inbox every five minutes for the next two weeks after hitting send is a high, but then you receive that first rejection. You are resilient, though, because you are realistic and thus, of course, you expected to receive one or maybe even a few of those. Again, it's all part of the process. Any remote sense of defeat is still far off. You submit queries like it's a full-time job or depending on your approach, perhaps you submit to only a select few. Then if your experience was anything like mine, filling rejection letters becomes a second full-time job. Occasionally, an agent would give me feedback and whether it was praise or criticism, Anything beyond a standard cut-and-paste rejection was gold because it gave me insight and perspective on what my book looked like to people on the inside. I wrote a sincere thank-you note to every agent who took the time to give me such a gift. Finally, after two years of submitting my query and receiving somewhere between 50 to 100 rejections with a couple agents that loved my books yet still passed on offering me representation, I decided to have a friend, fellow author, and professional editor review my book for me. This helped immensely and took my book to the next level. Once I read through her suggestions and implemented them as needed, I submitted my query to a few more agents and to one small family-owned publishing house, One Voice Press. Long story short, the agents all passed, but One Voice Press enthusiastically took my book on and hot air saw the light of day in both print and electronic versions in December 2016. All in all, from writing the first chapter to holding my book in my hands for the very first time, the process took about six years. The longest part of that period was submitting my query over and over and over again. But had I given up at the 50th rejection letter or the 75th, my book wouldn't exist beyond my desktop. It does because I persevered. I recently completed my second novel, which is a multi-perspective adult novel focusing on a refugee and immigrant experience in the U.S. I worked on refugee resettlement for many years, and much of the material in this piece is inspired by the people I met. 
It is my belief that the perspective of the minority, the oppressed, and the victim who continues to overcome, which is the essence of every refugee I have been honored to know is needed now more than ever. And I just want to comment on that sentence. I found it to be very disturbing. This belief that their stories deserve to be told continues to inspire me to submit this query despite the rejections popping up in my inbox. If I don't give up, if I refuse to take no for an answer, if I am willing to bend and sway as the process demands along the way, this book will also see the light of day. And this time around, I know I will find the agent who believes in my book and the story it passionately proclaims as much as I do. Ultimately, my experience of seeing my first novel through to publication has consisted of the magic, heartache, and painful growth present in any worthwhile life-changing process. I'm a better writer because of it, because it, and I'm taking the lessons learned the first time around and applying them in the here and now. My advice to you is simple. Whether it takes six months or 20 years, whether it is the first draft or a complete rewrite of your initial work, if you have a book that you believe in, that you know the world deserves to read, then don't stop until it does. The path to publication comes in a variety of forms, some with an agent, some with small with a small publishing house. But if you believe in your book, then you believe in yourself. Use this belief to feel the process, your process that ideally will culminate, culminate, excuse me, meaning reach a climax or point of highest development. And you holding your book in the palm of your hand. The end of this article. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good article. This is from also writersdigest.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed a lot of the articles that you read and reference on this panel are articles featured in, I believe you said readersdigest.com? Writersdigest.com, yes. Writersdigest.com. Mm-hmm. So that's an excellent resource. Mm-hmm. Yes. All good information, and I'm sure for the listeners that it is easy to follow as well. Mm-hmm. And and shared with clarity. Thank you for providing such resources because that's helpful, especially mm-hmm. to writers that are really trying to launch a career in writing. You want to know specifics. You want to know details. You want to know what not to do just as much as you need to know what you should do to succeed. So thank you for all the articles that you've been sharing on this show. Each one has proven beneficial, and it has definitely served its purpose as for being an enrichment source. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome, Duchess France. <clears throat> All right, moving on to the third article. It's titled, 13 Signs You're Close to a Breakthrough, published by Isaiah Hankel. I wonder how many times people give up just before a breakthrough when they are on the very brink of success. 
Joyce Meyer, Meyer, author, 100 Ways to Simplify Your Life. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Mahatma Gandhi, preeminent leader of Indian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Effort only fully releases its reward after a person refuses to quit. Napoleon Hill, author, Think and Grow Rich. Breakthroughs are easy to predict once you know where to look. I was just about to drop out of graduate school for the second time when my advisor sent me an email telling me to write my thesis and set a date for my defense. I spent the last 18 months begging for permission to graduate but I kept coming up against a brick wall. I tried everything to get out. I networked, I published more, I walked on eggshells, and I laughed at important people's jokes. When that didn't work, I complained, I met with my department, and I went to the dean, but nothing changed. Then, at 7.57 a.m. CST, Central Standard Time, on a Tuesday morning, I checked my email and read the sweetest phrase in the human language, prepare for your thesis defense. The captain of our college wrestling team had a legit grown man body with huge mountains of muscles everywhere. I looked like I had just gone through puberty, yet we were both in the same weight class and had to wrestle off for varsity. Whoever won two out of three matches would make the team. Of course, he was going to win. He was a year older and had won over 30 matches his freshman season. But somehow I won the first match four to three and the last second fluke. It was a fluke because he destroyed me 13-1 in the second match. So we wrestled again. We tied and went into overtime. Then we tied again and went into double overtime. With eight seconds left, he scored and moved ahead 3-2. I remember thinking it was over. I lost. I even started rationalizing my loss during the final seconds of the match. Then something funny happened. He let go, and I scored two points. It seemed like he just stopped trying and let me win. What happened? Rock mechanics and learned helplessness. There's an entire field of science dedicated to the mechanical behavior of rocks. This field called rock mechanics studies and measures things like rock strength, which is a measure of the compressive, tensile, and shear stress that a particular rock can withstand before breaking. Understanding rock mechanics is important for anyone who wants to drill into the ground, bore a tunnel, or do any kind of excavation work. Back in the day, before we had things like drills, dynamite, and high-pressure water jets, rocks were broken with handheld hammers. The process of breaking open a boulder by hand can take a very long time. Imagine trying to split a rock in half using a sledgehammer. You hit the boulder again and again and again, but nothing happens. You don't see any progress, which is extremely frustrating, but you keep swinging the hammer. Then on the 30th hit or maybe the 300th hit, the boulder splits in half like this. Uh, You click on like this, and there's an example. You click on the words like this. It seems like magic, but it's not. It's science. Even though it looks like nothing is happening on the outside, each blow by the hammer is reducing the rock's internal integrity. The rock is getting weaker. You just can't see it. 
Learned helplessness is what happens when someone is repeatedly subjected to a negative situation that they cannot control or escape from and as a result stops trying to avoid the situation and starts behaving as if he or she is utterly helpless to change the situation. A person who has developed learned helplessness will continue to act helpless even when opportunities to control a situation or escape from it are presented. For example, baby elephants are tied to trees with chains when they are young to keep them from running away. But as adults, they only tied, they're only tied by ropes because they've learned that they can't escape. Likewise, studies dating back to the 1970s show that animals who are conditioned to receive a mild electrical shock will not try to escape from the shock even when they are free to do so. Uh, could you hold on a minute, please? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm back. Mm -hmm. You're about to have a breakthrough. Obstacles are like giant rocks between you and your goals. Some of these obstacles, like difficult circumstances, excuse me, some of these obstacles are definable, like difficult circumstances, negative people, and your own bad emotions. Others are harder to define. Sometimes you don't know what's standing in your way. Maybe all you need is a little more information or one more connection, but you can't see it, and you can't see anything changing. You keep throwing yourself against the obstacle over and over again, but nothing is happening. It's times like these when you can start to feel out of control, like nothing you do matters, like nothing will ever change. In times like these, it can be easy to sink into a state of learned helplessness. Every obstacle has a breaking point. Like rocks, most obstacles weaken without showing any obvious signs of weakening. But there are signs. You just have to know where to look. Here are 13 signs that you're about to break through an obstacle. Number one, when you're frustrated. I went to a Tony Robinson's Date with Destiny seminar in Australia a couple of years ago, and there was a big sign on the wall that read, you're frustrated? Good. It means you're about to have a breakthrough. The biggest breakthroughs in my life have happened after intense periods of frustration, but it was my frustration that drove me to keep trying. A lot of people will tell you to rusa and do yoga and let go, which is all fine and good, but staying a little pissed off is what's going to actually get you to your goal. Apathy is your enemy, not anger. Anger is always more useful than despair. Apathy means lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Number two, when you hear radio silence. Being ignored or blown off is one of the first steps to having a breakthrough. Don't take it personally. Just see it as a challenge. I used to sell very expensive medical equipment on the road. The sales cycle for this stuff was super long, like six months to a year. Sometimes I would get a lead and follow up with them 30, 50 times once every one or two weeks before closing or moving on. And most of the time, these leads wouldn't answer my emails or phone messages. But guess what? I kept calling because they were reading my emails and listening to my phone messages even though I couldn't see it. And when the time came to buy, they replied. 
number three, when resistance increases. I used to hate conflict, especially when starting a new project, but now I get excited by it. In fact, I gauge, which means estimate or determine the magnitude, amount, or volume of how successful a project will by how much initial resistance it gets. The last few months I was in graduate school, my advisor started bullying me like crazy. He yelled at me in front of other students, threatened to ruin my career, and write letters against me, and started doing paranoid things like deactivating my card key. I was scared, depressed, and intimidated, but I kept coming into the lab to work. Then one day, when I least expected it, he sent me an email telling me that I could graduate. Don't be afraid of people coming against you and don't shy back from being bullied. People fighting against you is often a sign that you're headed in the right direction. Number four, when they start laughing at you. I didn't fit in very well in graduate school. I wasn't freaky smart like some of the other kids and my ADD brain had a hard time focusing on details. I pretty much knew right away that I didn't want to be a professor. When I shared this with some of the other students, they made fun of me and said I was wasting my time in graduate school. To be honest, I thought I was wasting my time, but then I found some other people like me who were using their degrees to be successful in business. Being mocked or feeling like a misfit can make you want to give up. That's normal. Everyone wants to fit in some extent. The key is not to let the desire to fit in keep you from having a breakthrough. Number five, when you want to give up. Don't feel guilty for doubting yourself or your path from time to time, and don't feel bad for wanting to quit. Instead, lean into this feeling because it means that you're close to a breakthrough. Never wanting to quit is not a sign of strength. It's a sign that your goals are too small. Number six. Number six, when you start rationalizing. Rationalization is the path to learned helplessness. In a recent study, two groups of people read, excuse me, rationalization means the action of attempting to explain or justify behavior or an attitude with logical reasons, even if these are not appropriate. In a recent study, two groups of people read that lowering the speed limits in their cities would make people safer. The first group was told that this legislation would definitely come into effect The second group read that it would probably happen, but that there was a small chance government officials would vote it down. People who thought the speed limit was definitely being lowered supported the change more than controlled subjects, but people who thought there was still a chance it wouldn't happen supported it less than these controlled subjects. In other words, if people think something is absolute, like a new speed limit or failure, they will find a way to rationalize and accept it. Failure is never an absolute. All breakthroughs are preceded by failures, a lot of failures. But failure is only temporary. So don't rationalize your failures. Instead, learn from them and use the urge to rationalize them as a sign that you're one step closer to success. Number seven, when you feel like changing your goals. Think of your biggest goal in life as a giant mountain peak. No matter what mountain you're climbing, there are going to be times when you want to stop and settle before reaching the top. There will also be times when you want to get off the mountain altogether and start climbing 
one yes. of the prettier mountains next to you. This is normal. The higher you climb on one mountain, the better you're able to see all of the other mountains. But that doesn't mean you should stop climbing the one you're on. It means you should start climbing harder. Imagine how many other mountains you'll be able to see and conquer once you reach the peak. Number eight, when you're told to be realistic. Intelligent people refuse to pursue realistic goals. The more you're told to be realistic, the closer you are to doing something amazing. Number nine, when it really hurts. Breakthroughs are painful. The first person through a wall always gets bloody. Don't shy away from this pain. Expect it, invite it, and use it to stay motivated. Right when it hurts the most is the moment when everything will fall into place. Number 10, when the numbers say you're wrong. Sometimes mistakes turn into, quote, eureka, end quote, moments. One of the first experiments I did in graduate school was a total failure. We were looking at the expression levels of a certain gene in T cells. Everything we knew about this gene at the time pointed to the idea that it should be expressed at very low levels in these cells. But every time I tested it, the expression levels turned out to be really high. This made no sense, and I was sure that I was making a mistake. Eventually, we learned that the gene was supposed to be expressed at high levels in these cells. I had been doing the experiment right all along. My mistake ended up leading us to a lot of new discoveries. Number 11, when people turn their backs on you. When my advisor sent me an email saying that I could defend my thesis, he also told me that I wouldn't be able to do any more experiments in the lab due to some trumped-up charges about using another person's reagent. This other person was both my lab mate and friend, and she knew my advisor was lying, but she never said anything. I don't blame her, though, because I was leaving and she had to stay and work with my advisor every day. Breakthroughs are life-changing events. Moving forward often means leaving other people behind. When this happens, don't be surprised if some of these people turn their backs on you. Be forgiven, because in a way, you're turning your back on them by leaving. Number 12, when people try to help you. As soon as I passed my comprehensive exam after my second year of graduate school, I decided to drop out. One of the deans who had a close relationship with my lab caught wind of this and called me into his office. He talked things out with me and helped me see why I should stay. His insight and motivation helped empower me through the next three years. Some people can see things that you can't. Let these people help you. Let them be a part of your breakthrough. Mm. And number 13, when you're scared. I was terrified of giving my thesis defense in front of my advisor who had tried really hard to keep me from graduating. I was also scared because graduating meant that I would have to start a new career and be a new person but I forced myself to do it. Right as you start to have a breakthrough is when you'll want to shrink back the most because that's when things get real. That's when you have to step up and step into a new way of living. Changing your life is scary, but being afraid is normal. It's just part of the process. It's a sign that you're having a breakthrough. What's the biggest breakthrough you've ever had in your life? 
What was your life like right before you had the breakthrough? We'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment below to let us know. Be specific in your comment because thousands of people visit this blog each week and what you say could be one thing to help someone else put their dent in the universe. And don't forget to sign up for Cheeky VIP to get insider emails. The end of this article. Very good. All of these articles are very good resource articles. I'm hoping that our listening audience, that they're taking notes and taking heed to the information relayed. A lot of um, very good advice is provided in each of the articles that you shared. Our warrior's queen, Zipporah Thelman, co-host of the Exceptional Scribble Show. And I tell you, for me, Save the Poet and host of the Exceptional Scribble Show, to acquire um, much from these articles, that says everything. That lets everyone who's tuned in know they are tuned into a program, one that is designed with them in mind, especially if you're a literary artist. This show was created for your benefit, for the purpose of enrichment, and also for the purpose of aiding a networking resource for writers that they can visit and acquire much-needed resource information from, free publishing tips hour, that is a resource. That is a good resource, and I'm hoping that everyone knows how much they're getting. And it's free. We're not charging, and they're getting a wealth of knowledge. They're getting what, if they were to put a price tag on it, it would be like what's provided when you go to a, a writer's workshop where there's a charge associated with it. And then they have speakers that have information they'll give out, but they're going to sell it to you. We're not selling anything to you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. What we're saying to you is all you have to do is read. This is a platform that promotes literacy. Read the same articles that are being read to you when you tune in. Reference these articles. Let them serve the purpose as a reference guide because I guarantee you there will be some situation and circumstance in your lifetime as a writer where you're going to need this information. Maybe right now it's not what you need, but later I'm telling you, if it's not what you need today, it's going to be what you're going to need tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. So don't neglect this. Make good use of it. Reference it. The archive link will be provided and available to you tomorrow or in a few hours, and then you'll be able to hear all of this information in full again, and you'll be able to also share it with other people because it is useful, it's essential, and for writers, it is the information that you need. We're not giving you excess information. We're giving you essential information. Note the difference between excess and what's essential to you, okay? And warriors, 
Queens Report Thelma, and I'm handing the mic back into your hands. All right. Thank you, Duchess Friend. Mm-hmm. And I'm closing with the final and fourth article, also from writersdigest.com. I mean, excuse me, another writersdigest.com titled, Understanding, quote, the call, end quote, Perspective from an Author and Agent on Representation, dated August 23, 2017. I went about searching for an agent in the usual way, using online sites. My search focused on trying to gather information about agents who represented works in my chosen genres, picture books, middle-grade humor, young adult, and historical romance. After I polished my query letter, I sent it off to some possible agents. I didn't know a lot about the process then, but I now know there were definite reasons why I signed with the agent I did, and I am happy with my decision. Melody Delgado has been a published writer since 2000. Her short stories have appeared in national magazines such as AIM, America's Intercultural Magazine, Vista, and Chicken Soup for the Latino Soul. She has published two picture books. Ten Warm Dinosaurs was published by Houston Mifflin Harcourt, spelled H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. And do you know how I got my name? Was recently published by Little Debbie slash McKee Foods. Her young adult inspirational historical romance, royally entitled, was released digitally by Clean Reads in May 2017. It is the first in a three-book series called The Brides of Brevalia. A humorous children's novel, Oops a Daisy, is coming to print on September 5th of this year and is also the first in a children's series. It's first in a children's series, The De La Cruz Diaries. It will also be published by Clean Reads. A few months after sending out a few queries, I received an email and a phone call from Kyle spelled C-Y-L-E Young of Heartline Literary. We had a lengthy but informative discussion on the phone. I felt he answered all of my questions sufficiently. He also asked pertinent, probing questions about my writing, which helped me gauge his interest. Since I write so many diverse genres, I knew it would be easier to work with one agent who would be able to represent everything that I write. Some agents, and that's very important, some agents only represent picture books or fiction, but not both. Others only represent adult novels or strictly nonfiction. I knew Kyle and I would be a good fit because he represents many genres in every age group. Heartline Literary Agency has a long history in the industry. Their favorable reputation was another major factor that influenced me to want to work with them. Kyle provides in-depth teaching videos for his clients. The videos cover topics from how to polish your manuscript to how to present your manuscript or proposal for submission. I felt I would be in good hands if I signed on with Kyle and Heartline. Like many authors, I have lots of friends who are writers, and I am active in online writing communities. The number one frustration I hear from other writers concerning agents is a lack of communication and availability from their agents after signing on with them. Many authors have no idea which publishers their book is being shopped to or even if their book is being shopped at all. Kyle has been great about keeping me in the loop. 
recently, Kyle and I had an offer from two different publishing houses for my middle grade novel, Oops a Daisy. It was reassuring to know I was in good hands. We exchanged several emails and had multiple phone conversations regarding the details of each offer. He listened to what my preferences were and then acted accordingly. While I was thankful to get any offer, much less multiple offers, one of the important factors for me regarding my novel was that it be available in print and not just digitally, since many young readers find out about books from libraries and bookstores. Kyle listened to my request and made this happen for me. During the negotiations, I mentioned to Kyle that I had started writing follow-up books to both of my novels that he sold royally entitled and inspirational historical young adult romance and Oops-A-Daisy, a humorous middle-grade novel. Thanks to great communication, he was only aware, he, excuse me, he not only was aware of what, was going, what I was working on, he was able to push for two series contracts. He essentially turned a two-book deal into a six-book deal. While I depend upon my critique group and other writers that help me get my manuscript ready for submission, it is good to know there are resources available to help me in my publishing journey. I also appreciate knowing that my agent is on top of trying to actively sell my manuscript, keep me, keeps me in the loop with specific details, listens to and considers my preferences, and negotiates the best deal possible. The agent's perspective. Representative Melody Delgado was an exceptionally rare scenario for me as an agent. I don't often represent authors who I have not met in person, not because I don't want to, but because many authors don't understand how to sell themselves in a cover letter or proposal. I find it is, so, find it is much easier to mentor writers who I've already developed a relationship with at a writing conference or retreat. But as you will see, Melanie captured my attention and she spoke to my interest and I became her agent. Kyle Young is a force-sensitive dragon rider trapped in the modern world. When he and his three muggle padawans aren't racing chocobos, they search for a magical wardrobe or time stone that may help them return home before the nothing Skeletor or Skynet takes over this dimension. Kyle credits his 20-plus writing awards to his discovery of the, quote, one ring to rule them all, end quote. He lives in the Midwest, and when he is not shopping manuscripts for Heartline Literary Agency, he can be found lounging in his hammock beside the tranquil Grand River. Within only a few days of becoming an agent with Heartline Literary Agency, I received an email from Melody about a historical romance novel entitled Worldly Entitled. The story was set in the kingdom of Brevelia, and my mind instantly conjured up images of Princess Diaries. I don't know why, but that's what I thought about. Even though I was a 37-year-old former Division I football player, I loved that movie, and Melody's book blurb kept pulling me further into her cover letter. When I read on, I discovered that Melody was a published picture book author with Hilton Mifflin. That revelation was enough to garner an immediate response. Not only do I know the company, I love the books that they have published. As an author, if you've been published with a large publishing house, it is always important to let an agent know. When I read about Melanie's 10 Warren Dinosaurs, my interest went off the charts, and I couldn't wait to speak to Melody about her picture book. 
I also noticed in the letter that Melanie wrote for chicken soup for the soul, which I considered another valuable asset. If other significant publishers have already reviewed an author's work and deemed it to be of enough quality to invest hundreds to thousands of dollars in, that speeds up my review process. Melody mentioned in her opening statement that she also was under contract for another novel. All of this information helped me decide to send Melody a request for a phone conversation. On the phone, we immediately connected and both realized that she'd be a great fit for my unique client pool. My relationship with Melody has gone smoothly. She has continued to hone her craft as an author, and she follows my advice and instructions. We speak as often as necessary to communicate the status of her submissions, and Melody continues to stay abreast of the industry and publishers' editorial needs. Every agent dreams of having clients that are as responsive as Melody, and I am lucky to have her as one of mine. The end of this article. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good choices. As for the articles you selected for tonight's show, continue to be selective in the same regard, and I'm sure each week our writers will continue to uh, further enhance their skills in writing as well as to further increase their knowledge base of what things are essential to being successful as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any suggested readings for us? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to hear it? Should I tell it now or wait until after, you know, I go to the next category? Oh, um, after you go to the next category. Thank you. All right. You're, you're welcome. And um, before I go to the next category, can you tell me the reminder of when you uh, asked me the earlier question and I said I did have a connection to it, I should have made a note. Oh, I believe I was um, speaking on the lines of how teachers as models should um, be examples that reflect um, non-biased judgments and opinions. And the reason for that being we are supposed to help promote learning in life and to do so in a fair manner. I I believe that was what I was touching bases in reference to when you said you would be mentioning about it later. And I did hear an article touch on how um, one should not allow themselves to become discouraged when teachers come at them or against them. Yes, that was the 13th sign you're close to a breakthrough by Isaiah Hankel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I thought there was something else. So when I said the connection, I should have, you know, I didn't. But, um, anyway, I'm going on to the next category. Perhaps it will come up in it. All right, and it's titled Anti-Trump Art Warriors Resistance. All right, first I'm starting with films. Mm-hmm. All right, number one is Almost Christmas. It, dad selling the house thing. And the reason why I had picked it because I have a connection to what the late L.A. Banks had did, and it's from my uh, paper titled A Spirit Interview Essay, and it's the following part. 
Banks also helped a failing program in Philly that gave small loans to women and or non-white businesses, which cut that, quote, character-based, end quote, loans at a default rate. She refused to take for collateral, which means something pledged as security for payment of a loan to be forfeited, which means lost, in the event of a default, which means failure to fulfill an obligation, especially to repay a loan or appear in a court of law rate. And uh, what it means that she refused to, you know, take the uh, the collateral-based, you know, homes and remove the only important thing for blacks and their community. Black, excuse me, banks suggested putting up wedding pictures as collateral that people would want to get back. Mm. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Mm-hmm. I don't agree to that. The value that wedding pictures have, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to families as well as the bride and groom themselves, um, is sentimental value. You don't put a price tag on that. Right. That's why she, I understand what you mean, Duchess Rand. That's why she had suggested putting up wedding pictures as collateral that people would want to get back. Mm-hmm. So banks do that, though? Uh, no, this is uh, uh, the late L.A. Banks. I'm talking about the author. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm missing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, so no, and not the, the, the money bank. And went back. And could you revisit the the reason for this action? All me? right, yes, I, sure. I had put, you know, I had chose that for, you know, in a scene in Almost Christmas where they were gathered at the table for dinner and dad had suggested, you know, said that he was going to uh, sell the house. And what happened, the family was against it because of the house, you know, had the memories and all. Mm-hmm. So it was their treasure. Yep. And so I used that for the connection to what the late L.A. Banks, you know, what she had did, you know, instead of her, you know, taking, you know, um, like the homes in the black community, she you know, for loans, she suggested, you know, that they put up wedding pictures as collateral that people would want to get back. Mm. Mm-hmm. I still say, I tell you, some things I just think, I understand why she mm-hmm. felt the need to resort mm-hmm. to doing something like that, but I don't yeah, agree mm-hmm. to that. All right, because she also, Even the, as, the way she... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so she had did it. She had um, did it to help a failing program in Philly that gave small loans to women and or non-white businesses, which mm-hmm. cut back, quote, character-based loans at a default rate. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, to each his own. That's all I'm going to say as far as that goes. It's not the way I would have handled a situation like that. I, I'm one that agrees to having things in writing as far as a contract agreement. Mm-hmm. And like banks do um, repossess, things will be repossessed if you're not um, holding up your mm-hmm. end of the deal. You know what you Promise, you know how there's that promissory note. 
You know what you promised to do. If you can't fulfill it, then, yes, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Not going to gain. I mean, that's life. Right. You can go All right. on. All right. Thank you. Yeah, so once again, that correction, it was the late author, the author of the late L.A. Banks, not the money banks. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, explaining it with suggestion, yeah. All right, so moving on. All right, number two, underdog, excuse me, underdog, the film and the song, which Kyle Macy performed. Number three, Battleship with Rihanna, The Message, Beginners and Veterans Working Together. Mm-hmm. Number four, The Unborn, The Message, Evil Will Do Anything to Live. And this is from the advertisement poster. Wow. Yeah, I saw the ad for that. And I think mm-hmm. I never did get around to seeing the movie. I think the ad was riveting enough to me. <laughs> the message. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. All right, the next are shows. Number one, The Twilight Zone, the original intro, The Message, Reality's Personification. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Number two, The Lion Guard Cartoon. And season two, episode five, The Rise of Scar. The past line, well, first I'm going to read the uh, the Lion Guard summary from my phone. All right, it's loading real quick. Come on. All right, here it is. Oh, come on. What are you? All right, here it is. Disney's 1994 classic, The Lion King, is one of the most beloved animated films in the company's storied history. This follow-up series introduces Simba's son, fun-loving Keon, who is happy that his sister Kiara is destined to rule the Pride Lands. He soon discovers that as the second born, he has his own destiny to lead the Lion Guard, a team that protects the Pride Lands and defends the circle of life. As the leader, Keon receives the Roar of the Elders, a power that makes him the fiercest creature in the land, but he can't do it alone, so he assembles a team of animals who are brave, strong, and fast. His team includes Honey Badger Bunga, Hippo Beshti, Cheetah Fooley, and Egret Ano. And this episode, titled The Rise of Scar, is the past lines of spirits appearing and warring in the sky called the War of the Elders, which is, you know, the magic that Keon has. All right, next category is books. First is The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova. And I'm going to read the summary. Breathtakingly suspenseful and beautifully written, The Historian is the story of a young woman plunged into a labyrinth where the secrets of her family's past connect into an unconceivable evil 
the dark reign of Lad the Impaler, and a time-defying pact that may have kept his awful work alive through the ages. The search for the truth becomes an adventure of monumental proportions, taking us from monasteries and dusty libraries to the capitals of Eastern Europe, and a feat of storytelling so rich, so hypnotic, so exciting that it has enthralled readers around the world. Right. Yeah. The second story is Aladdin. All right, next. The final category is video games. First is Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. Message, the armed, handicapped, are feared and attacked. And I recommend the trailer game, which is titled E3 2017 Full Reveal on YouTube.com. And the reason why I had told that message is because the main character is in a hand pushed, uh, I mean, a manual wheelchair with a gun and he's shooting Nazis. Mm. Yeah, so he's willing to shoot and it's funny and it's not funny. <laughs> hmm. Paralyzed from the waist down, yeah. All right, and the second video game is uh, had a Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmare. The trailer is told as poetry. Right. And my suggested reading is Aesop's Fables. Mm-hmm. Any particular one? No, no particular one. I just uh, anthology. Okay. Yeah, you can just yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking up Aesop's Fables now. Mm-hmm. You had asked for any, you know, particular one, and I had said, you know, just the, um, you said the whole anthology. So mm-hmm. I'm going to see what, uh, I mean, I'm just familiar with the hair and the tortoise. Okay. hmm And for some reason, this is not loading. And some people may not be <clears throat> knowledgeable of Aesop or Aesop's fables. Is there any reference information you'd like to share? Yes, I pulled it up on um, Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Aesop's fables or the Aesopica, no, Aesopica, is a collection of fables credited to Aesop, a slave and storyteller, believed to have lived in ancient Greece between 620 and 564 BCE, which is before Common Era, as a children's book in 1912. Of diverse origins, the stories associated with his name have descended to modern times through a number of sources and continue to be reinterpreted in different verbal registers and in popular as well as artistic media. The fables originally belonged to the oral tradition and were not collected for some three centuries after Aesop's death. By that time, a variety of other stories, jokes, and proverbs 
were being ascribed to him, although some of that material was from sources earlier than him or came from beyond the Greek cultural sphere. The process of inclusion has continued until the present, with some of the fables unrecorded before the later Middle Ages and others arriving from outside Europe. The process is continuous, and new stories are still being added to the Aesop corpus, even when they are demonstrably more recent work and sometimes from known authors. Manuscripts in Latin and Greek were important avenues of transmission, although poetical treatments and European vernaculars eventually formed another. On the arrival of printing, collections of Aesop's fables were among the earliest books in a variety of languages. Through the means of later, I mean, excuse me, later collections and translations or adaptations of them, Aesop's reputation as a fabulist was transmitted throughout the world. Initially, the fables were addressed to adults and covered religious, social, and political themes. They were also put to use as ethical guides and from the Renaissance onwards were particularly used for the education of children. Their ethical dimension was reinforced in the adult world through depiction of sculpture, painting, and other illustrative means, as well as adaptation to drama and song. In addition, there have been reinterpretations of the meaning of fables and changes in emphasis over time. Fictions that point to the truth. Fable is a genre. Apollonius of Tyana, a first century CE philosopher, is recorded as having said about Aesop, like those who dine well off the plainest dishes, he made use of humble incidents to teach great truths, excuse me, and after serving up a story, he adds to it the advice to do a thing or not to do it. Then, too, he was really more attached to truth than the poets are, for the latter do violence to their own stories in order to make them probable. But he, by announcing a story, which everyone knows not to be true, told the truth by the very fact that he did not claim to be relating real events. Philostratus' Life of Apollonius of Tyana, Book 5, 14. Mm-hmm. The Greek historian Herodotus mentioned in passing that, quote, Aesop, the fable writer, end quote, was a slave who lived in ancient Greece during the 5th century BCE. Among references and other writers, Aristophanes in his comedy, The Wasp, represented the protagonist, Philocleon, as having learned the, quote, absurdities, end quote, of Aesop from conversation at banquets. Plato wrote in Phaedo that Socrates whiled away his time in prison turning some of Aesop's fables, quote, which he knew, end quote, into verses. Nonetheless, for two main reasons, because numerous morals within Aesop's attributed fables contradict each other, and because ancient accounts of Aesop's life contradict each other, the modern view is that Aesop was not the originator of all those fables attributed to him. Instead, any fable tended to be ascribed to the name of Aesop if there was no known alternative literary source. <clears throat> Excuse me. In classical times, there were various theorists who tried to differentiate these fables from other kinds of narration. They had to be short and unaffected. In addition, they are fictitious, useful to life, and true to nature. In them could be found talking animals and plants, although mm-hmm. humans interacting only with humans figure in a few. 
Typically, they might begin with a contextual introduction followed by the story, often with the moral underlined at the end. Studying the context is often necessary as a guide to the story's interpretation, as in the case of the political meaning of the frogs who desired a king and the frogs and the sun. Sometimes mm. the titles give later to the fables and become proverbial, proverbial, excuse me, as in the case of killing the goose that laid the golden eggs or the town mouse and the country mouse. In fact, some fables such as the young man and the swallow appear to have been invented as illustrations of already existing proverbs. One theorist indeed went so far as to define fables as extended proverbs, and this they have an aetiological function, the explainer of origins such as in another context, why the ant is a mean, thieving creature, and how the tortoise got its shell. Other fables also virgin on dysfunction or outright jokes as in the case of the old woman and the doctor aimed at greedy practitioners of medicine. All right, so I'm going to stop there. Thanks so much. A lot of people might be familiar with Aesop's fables. I know as a child I always enjoyed reading them. For one, I liked that the characters were animals, and I liked how there were morals for every story. Every story had a moral in it. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated those at those two aspects and details of uh, Aesop's fables. And it wasn't until later in life that I had learned that Aesop, um, uh, his name even gives a clue of about his um, ethnicity. Aesop is derived from the Greek word Ethiop, which means Ethiopia. And Aesop was described by Maximus Plinius, um, the Byzantine scholar who wrote a biography of Aesop and a prose version of Aesop's fables as follows, his visage was of black hue. Um, Maximus Planus was from the 12th century, 1260 to 1330. In Aesop's biography, Planus describes Aesop as ugly, deformed, a dwarf, and there was a famous marble statue at the Villa Albani in Rome which depicts Aesop accordingly. <clears throat> and that's just yeah. a little um, demographic. And um, as far as a profile goes, a little biography about Aesop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now this is our Warriors, Queens, the Poor. And I want to uh, comment on how they describe Aesop mm-hmm. and what described him as, you know, the, being the form was envy. Envy? Yes, E-N-V-Y. And why would you say that? It's because Aesop was not the form, but they were envious of, you no, know, not of his looks, but also, you know, of his talent. 
And when a person, you know, envies you, they desire, you know, they, uh, in other words, they wishing, you know, uh, let me look up envy, sorry. I'm trying to describe it. Mm-hmm. Now, dwarf yeah, word. Yeah. was actually a characterization of Aesop. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, so the way they describe him as being a dwarf, but then what about, you know, which was true, but what about the other, you know, the, um, what and they, they said he was form. ugly. He wasn't an attractive man. He wasn't the. Uh, he didn't have the appearance. His vices didn't have the appearance that one would denote as attractive. Uh, I mean, you, you can call someone ugly and not be envious of them. They're just not attractive. Mm-hmm. Physically speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, were there any, you know, um, like a picture or like a statue of Aesop? Yeah, there was a, uh, there is a famous marble mm-hmm. um, of him, and I have read that information about it. Famous marble statue of him. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm looking it up now, and um, I looked on the Wikipedia, and there is a, statue. It says, Hellenistic statue claimed to depict Aesop, mm-hmm. but um, what you just described is that the Aesop romance tells, and excuse me, an ancient literary work called the Aesop romance tells an episodic, probably highly fictional version of his life, including the traditional description of him as a strikingly ugly slave who by his cleverness acquires freedom and becomes an advisor to kings and city-states. Well, I'll just say he wasn't very attractive mm-hmm. to most. Mm-hmm. And I never read anything in literature that said he was attractive and uh, or comely in his appearance. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found another picture of a woodcut mm-hmm. depicting, you know, a hunchback Aesop surrounded by events when the stories and plan new version of his life. Yeah. Now I will say dwarfism will be considered a deformity mm-hmm. to most. And if you, if he was hunchback, that also would be considered a deformity. Mm-hmm. But those, uh, you know, again, a gifted person mm-hmm. is often ridiculed, period, mm-hmm. whether yeah. they're attractive or ugly, because they're looked at as outstanding, you know, being mm-hmm. something that others aren't sometimes that can cause you to stand out more. So you're more so picked on or ridiculed than others would be. Right. I mean, that's a price that you pay, you know, gifted, being gifted. Uh Uh. All right, well, that's all for my hour, and I'm going to sign off for tonight.
Okay. Well, thank you again for the information shared. And I think that we did sort of spotlight ASAP un, unintentionally. Is <laughs> in the spotlight on our panel tonight. And I'm hoping that it will encourage those whom were listeners to do further study and research on their own and see what other facts they can learn and discover about ASAP. Um, again, we do know not everything that's equated as being written by him is actually originated from him. And that goes, you know, that all goes to saying a lot of times as writers we're influenced by things we heard or things we read. So sometimes the things we write, it's not that it originated with us, but it it was something we were inspired to write. Meaning we yeah. saw something, we heard something, or we read something, and it inspired us to write. Yes, and I must add about Aesop's fables is that, all right, so they were not, you know, it was said that not all of his fables, if it, since it was said that not all of his fables were written by him, mm-hmm. so, but then it could have been, you know, they were his fables, but they just, um, he just wasn't given the credit, you know, for it. Right, if indeed. Mm-hmm. He was a slave, and um, most slaves did experience that. A lot of things that they invented or they composed or they created, they weren't given full credit for it, but their masters were. And that is because of the way society's dictates were during that time. Yeah, right. But today, if you write something, you're accredited for it. Whether yeah. you're a slave or not, it's a whole mm-hmm. different order or or a whole different set of rules now by which we are subjected to in society mm-hmm. today. We have laws now that they didn't have back then that protect yeah. your rights, mm-hmm. even your rights of ownership. And it's just a matter of you being aware of what your rights are because yeah. you can fight for your rights mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, I'm signing off for tonight. Okay, and thanks again for all the information shared. Very valuable. And we look forward to next week or next week. Um, We have, I believe, next week is the first Tuesday in the month of September. It is the day after Labor Day. September 5th, (laughs) and we will have a supporting host of the panel of the Exceptional School Show, Donaldson Flow Time, otherwise known as the Duke, and otherwise known as, best known as Quantas MC. He will be in the spotlight. He's going to be the feature artist, Mm -hmm. and we will be discussing him and his artistry, and we will focus on, of course, uh, literary art. That will be our focus for next Tuesday. All right. All right. Well, till then, peace and blessings, good health, and we'll talk more later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Duchess Fran and everyone. This is Warriors Queen 
Sephora Thelma signing off from Exceptional Scribble Episode 178 for Tuesday, August 29, 2017. Until next time. Yes. Have a good night. Peace and blessings. Same to you. Nighty night. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, before we end episode 178 of the Exceptional Scribble Show, on Tuesday night, August 29th, 2017, once more the show did, of course, um, pay tribute to Texas. And we're going to say long live the state and Texans. Um, sad to say. The state right now is in dire straits, dire need of your support. We want to say thank you to the National Guard. We want to say thank you to Red Cross. We want to say thank you to Samaritan's Purse. We want to say thank you to everyone who has been a giver in some way to help, to help provide essential relief aid to Texans right now during the time of need. Thank you. Um, I'm going to play a song by a well-known recording artist group and band by the name of Coldplay. And this is a song of by the group which they dedicated to Houston. during a live performance, a show that they performed in Miami, Florida. Be inspired.
We're going to sing it in Miami for everybody here, and then we're going to send it over there to everyone that missed the show, or we're going to go back and play the show. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to episode 178 of the Exceptional Scribble Show. I am your host, the host of Exceptional Scribble, Sage the Poet. Good night to all. And as for the Lone Star State... Texas, our hearts and prayers are with you.
We love you, good health, and a full recovery to you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.